I know most of you are gone, choir, but thank you. Thank you for your ministry to us. That's awesome. We talk about having a pretty deep preaching bench here, but we got a pretty deep musical bench too, and uh, it's great having Charlene up there. She's a little low energy for me. I wish she could pump, <laughs> pump it up a little bit, but other than that, she's musically gifted. Is there anyone here who doesn't know that I spent two years studying and living in St. Andrews, Scotland? I'm just curious. Yeah, I have, that's a dead horse that's been pretty thoroughly beaten. But uh, while I was there, it was a wonderful time because Scotland is so far north that in the summertime you can be out, and we often were out, playing croquet on the green in our residence area at 11 o'clock at night. And we still had plenty of daylight left. But we paid the price for that in the wintertime when the Stygian darkness gripped us by the throat and the, uh, and the sun was gone by three in the afternoon and didn't return again until late the next morning. Those, those Scottish nights were cold and dark and long. I'll bet I'm not the only one who feels like the, the last few weeks through the story have felt a little bit like a, a long Scottish night. Anyone who would say, yeah. I mean, it's, pretty, it's been a hard slog, hasn't it? It's a, it's a dis- disappointing and dark time in the story of God's people. You, you read about a, an endless succession of evil kings with almost no respite. You read about God's people being torn asunder and scattered to the wind, most of them never to be reconstituted again as a, as a people. And you hear the cries, the plaintive and repeated cries of one prophet after another begging God's people to return to the Lord, to turn from their evil ways, you know, pleading with them for their faithlessness. So it's, it's been a long, cold night as we've slogged through that together. I, I hope, though, that you've hung in there because there's no way to appreciate light except for after the darkness of that night. And this morning, I'm pleased to tell you that we are about to launch into one of the brightest books that you'll find in the Old Testament. This morning, the, the, uh, uh, the bright light of hope kind of re-enters the story again as we begin to see God who is still faithful and has not yet given up. Daniel's one of my favorite books, one of my favorite prophetic books particularly. I don't think you find the scarlet thread any better than you do in the book of Daniel among the prophetic works. It's short too, and I love that. I'm a, you know, ADD kind of a guy. And, and the first half of the, of the book is a story of heroes, it's unstinting and unfailing heroism. Who doesn't want to read hero stories? So I want you to pray with me, and then we're going to launch into a, an overview of this deep and wonderful and rich book, and hopefully it will inspire you if you've kind of fallen away from your reading to jump back in this week and, and get back on track with, uh, with the story, okay? So let's pray. Father, thank you for, uh, thank you for your word and and we thank you for the brightness of the light that is ours in Christ and, and in the stories, the appearances of Jesus that we catch glimpses of down through your salvation history. We realize that even in the darkest of times, you've never let go of it. us. Your, your light is there to be seen. And so this day, Lord, especially for those who find themselves in darkness, this day may your light be seen in a powerful and glorious way. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, I want to share a picture with you. I wonder how many of you would recognize this guy. That's your beloved pastor in his early 20s. I was, uh, 
that's about 10 years ago. Um, <laughs> at the time I was down in Bakersfield, I was doing, I was the guy that was up here with the kids saying, okay, we're off to do this thing. I was doing what Dustin is doing, doing youth ministry. I was uh, going to seminary, a course of study to prepare me uh, for my life. I think you'd agree though, really, I hardly have changed a bit. Don't you think? <laughs> not, not a bit. Uh, the, the story opens today in Daniel with an account of young men who themselves are about ready to go off to a, a season of training, a period of training. The difference is they had nothing to say about it. See, these young men lived in Jerusalem, and, and the, early chapter, the early verses of Daniel tell us about the story of Jerusalem that is under siege by Babylon, the superpower of the time. Babylon was led by a king. You remember his name? King Nebuchadnezzar. King Nebuchadnezzar. And he, uh, he, King Nebuchadnezzar came in and through his generals and armies, he'd completely subjugated the people of Jerusalem. Uh, they were just, their opposition was crushed. And, and old Nebi did what he always did, which is how he broadened his kingdom. Every kingdom, every city-state that they conquered, they would carry away the brightest and the best of the young people to their headquarters in Babylon to be assimilated into their culture. Any of you Star Trek fans? You remember the Borg? Uh, the, the, Babylon was kind of like the Borg. They just, the resistance was futile. Uh, they would assimilate all of their young men into, uh, into their culture. And that's what we discover when we open our books, uh, our book that, uh, this morning. And it, it really, as I said, this is a story, Daniel is a story of heroes who are living faithful witnesses in a, in a place of captivity. And I'll bet there are, are many here who feel like at times we live in a foreign land. We live in a place of captivity. So if you want to live heroically, uh, then you can find no better examples than the ones we're going to discover as we read through Daniel this week. For instance, three heroes named Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That name, those names sound familiar? The problem is those were their given names, their Babylonian names, their Aramaic names, and they were given to honor the pagan gods of Babylon. That's one of the ways they acculturated them was to change their name. So how many remember the real names, the Jewish given names of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? I'm hearing it. Good for you, my little Bible scholars. Hananiah, Mishael, and uh, Azariah. Uh, that was their, their, their given names. If you recall, these were three of the young men that went off for a training time. And, um, and at one point, Nebuchadnezzar had the bright idea of casting a golden statue. It was a big old statue, too. It was so tall. In fact, it was 90 feet tall of solid gold. Just to put that in perspective, we would have to raise the roof of this sanctuary by a third in order for that statue to fit inside of this room. That's one stinking big gold statue. And he set it up on the plain of Dura, which was a crossroads of their civilization. And he ordered that everyone would bow down before that statue. And uh, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Shadrach, and Meshach, and Abednego, they refused to do it. What was the consequence of their refusing to do it? Yeah, thrown into the fiery furnace. And you know the story, of course. They said, hey, God can save us, but if he, even if he doesn't, we will never stop worshiping God. It's just heroic. And of course, the Lord does 
spare him. One of the scarlet thread glimpses is of the fourth person in the, in the fire. Watch for that in, this, in your story this week. So they are, they are removed from the fiery furnace. They haven't been scorched. In fact, if you've ever tried to build a fire, a campfire, and have your clothes get all smoky, it even tells us that, that even their clothes did not smell of smoke. That's how thorough was the salvation of the Lord. And they come out of there, and Nebuchadnezzar proclaims the goodness and the power of the one true living God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Heroic, isn't it? Wonderful. Uh, the, the story I want to look at today, though, is a story of Daniel, another very familiar one. But it is set decades later. And by now, Daniel is in his 80s. He is in his 80s, and yet he is still going strong. And so I want to read with you one of the other so such familiar stories, the story of Daniel in the lion's den. It pleased King Darius to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom with three administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel. Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. At this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. You remember the story of King Solomon. I preached on him a few weeks ago, right? Solomon was one of the, perhaps the most gifted men who ever sat on a throne. He was brilliant. He was wise. He was rich. It was literally the golden age for the people of Israel. Everything was up and to the right for Solomon. And, uh, and yet, what happened? Near the end of his, of his reign, he stumbled and collapsed. He allowed himself to be subdued by 700 wives and 300 concubines. He was seduced uh, to, to follow their gods, to, to, to uh, build uh, idolatrous images, to, uh, to placate them. And so we watch this, this tremendous reign come to a cataclysmic end. I pointed out to you at the time, and I'll say it again. It doesn't matter how you start. It doesn't matter how you start. What matters is how you finish. How at the end of the day, when you are about to breathe your last, you throw yourself across the finish line, utterly spent for God. That is what counts. The the world is rife. The Christian faith is rife with people who have started well, midway, courageously and well, and in the end, they collapsed and fall. I have a friend, a, a pastor, who in his 60s had a moral lapse and fell. Decades of faithful ministry, decades of lives that were being touched, and yet forever his legacy will be tarnished. It will be shadowed by that, that collapse near the end. I have said this before. I, I'll tell you what I want on my gravestone. I want the words of Paul that he wrote in the last letter that he wrote to Second Timothy. Second Timothy. He said, I fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Don't you want that to be said of you? If you want an example of enduring faithfulness, Daniel is your guy. Daniel is your guy. When we come to this story, 80 years of age plus, he has outlived and served eight different kings. He has served in two different kingdoms, the Babylonians and then the Medo-Persian kingdom. And now we find him here today. 
This is the faithfulness of this guy. And he had uh, enemies that were combing through his life trying to trip him up, trying to scandalize him so that they could kind of remove some of his power and, and influence. But they were, it was a fruitless search. Listen to verse 4 again. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Wouldn't that be a great thing to have said of you? And I'll tell you, this is one of the ways that Christ is made known most effectively. Not from preachers, not from evangelists on street corners. One of the most effective ways for Christ to be made known is for his people to live these kinds of lives. Lives of such integrity and diligence that even the pagans you work for say, we trust these people. I don't know what it is, but we're going to give them more and more to do because they are trustworthy. That is the way that we make a stamp in our culture. But it, the success that they were in, that da- Daniel was experiencing always engenders something. What is it? Yes, jealousy. Success always engenders jealousy. And we have seen that as a theme that runs throughout the story so far, have we not? Uh, Joseph's brothers were jealous of him, and so they sell him into captivity, his own brother. We see Saul, green with envy, over David, who was faithful to him in his service to the king. When you read the account of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you will find the sorcerers who are jealous of them and so seek to destroy them, seek to trip them up. And so too we find it here. These men who are so envious of him, it is often the case when you seek to live a life of purity and integrity, it will be noticed It will often be rewarded with more responsibility, but there will be those who are, it makes enemies of them because they lack both the character and the competency to do what you are able to do. So just be ready. When you live lives like Daniel lived, you will make enemies for doing so. And it is a badge of honor when you do. Daniel's enemies knew one thing though. They knew of his unbending devotion to God. And they realized that if there was going to be a way that they would trip him up, it would be in his unwillingness to waver in that devotion to his God. And so they came up with a plan. They went to who was now on the throne, King Darius. And they came up with this brilliant idea that played right into Darius's ego. They said, here's what we think you should do, King. You should issue an edict that cannot be reversed. And this decree should say that for 30 days... Every man, woman, and child in your kingdom is forbidden to pray to any other God, any other thing, except for you, O king, your majesty. And Darius was taken with the idea. It made his head swell. Yeah, it would be cool to have everybody in my world praying to me, seeking my blessing. And so he issues exactly that edict. And if you want to talk about heroism, listen to the very next verse that you will read in this story. When Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God just as he had done before. Then these men went as a group and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. You know that this was their plan from the beginning. 
I mean, this whole scheme of getting this edict passed by the king was really their way of trapping Daniel because every day, three times a day, they saw him praying. And they knew that this would not stop him from doing what he always did. And sure enough, they caught him in the act. I need to tell you that reading through this story this week was both encouraging and convicting to me. Because I realized how dry my own prayer life and devotional life has felt in recent weeks and months. I know none of you have ever gone through that before. But when I read last week, I read a little more than what the story included, the story of the dry bones. I thought, I feel like that. And I, and I, I need the Spirit to be poured into me. And then I read this story, and you think, why was it that Daniel was so faithful and courageous and pure and good? It's because he's on his face before the Lord three times a, week, a day. So I said, you know what, I'm going to give this a try. So I put it in my phone. And, and my goal, I must, I, I'm going to do one week. I'm going to pray on my knees before the Lord morning, noon, and night. It might be the Lord's prayer. It might be the Jesus prayer. I, I, just prayers of thanksgiving. But I, I want to tap into what this saint teaches me. Because I long to have my spiritual life be vitalized again. I wonder, would anyone want to join me this week in that challenge? One week, one week, three times a day. Get on your knees if you can and, and join me and I'll, I'll be thinking of you. I know, I'm sorry, but <laughs> no offense, but I know some of your knees. <laughs> yeah, it's getting back up. Just stay down there till night. <laughs> It'll be one long prayer all day. Oh God! <laughs> Save me. (laughs) Anyhow, Daniel is trapped. And after they had trapped Daniel, then they proceed to trap the king too. They go back to him and they remind him of the decree he has just passed. You did say this, right, king? Oh, yeah, I said that. And no one can reverse you. No, no one can reverse me. He said, well, do you know who we just caught praying to someone besides you? It was Daniel. And, of course, the king in the, immediately knows he's just been trapped. And he is despondent. He doesn't know how to get himself out of this thing that his ego got him into. Well, the fact is, he was the king. He could have pronounced any new edict that he wanted to. But the thing that got him into that position in the first place, his ego refused to let him get out of it. He didn't want to lose face. And so, despite his great wishes and the fact that it was going to cost him his most trusted advisor... He carries out his plan. Listen. So the king gave the order and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, rescue you. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den. And the king sealed it with his own signet ring and the rings of his nobles so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. Then the king returned to his palace, and he spent the night without eating and without any entertainment being brought to him, and he could not sleep. At the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. When he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lion's? And Daniel answered, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel, and he shut the mouths of the lions 
They have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight. And here's a little poke in the ribs. Nor have I ever done any wrong before you, O king. So Daniel is lifted out from the lion's den. He, we are told, doesn't have a scratch on him. And Darius's relief turns to wrath because he wheels on Daniel's accusers, orders them to be caught up and thrown into the lion's den along with their wives and their children. And we are told that before they even hit the bottom of the floor, the lion's rushed upon them, overpowered them, and crushed their bones. And then Darius issues this new decree. Listen, listen to this. Daniel's God is the living God, and he endures forever. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. And I dare say that this is really the theme of this book. The theme of Daniel is a God, a sovereign God who has dominion over all times, all places, all kings, all peoples, all rulers, whether they acknowledge him, whether they bow before him or not, he is God. And God will triumph over all evil in the end. That is the message. And in a world today, when we turn to the headlines, we are seeing about ISIS, what we see, what's going on in Syria, when we see what's going on uh, in all parts of the world. Surely this is the cry of our heart. Oh God, will you ever prevail? And his answer as it comes out here is, I will. I will prevail. I will triumph. I'm still in charge. This story raises an important question, I think, for us. And here's the question, simply put. What difference do I make in the place where God has put me? What difference do I make in the place that God has put me? God put Daniel in a, in a foreign place, a place of captivity. Strangers, a foreign land, foreign language. And yet, he made a difference there. What difference do I make? In my school, in my community, in my home, in my workplace, what difference does it make where everything that matters to us is often ridiculed and demeaned, where I feel like I really am a stranger in my own land at times. Daniel teaches us that whether you are a student or a teacher or a doctor or a soldier or a plumber, you can make a difference where you are if you have an enduring witness. The question is, what kind of witness will you have? There are different kinds of Christian witnesses, and it strikes me that there are at least three types. There, there's one witness that's the, that's the chameleon. You know what a chameleon is. They, they blend in. They're, they change colors depending upon what they are sitting on. It's an amazing thing. They're kind of ugly and yet beautiful all at the same time. If you are a chameleon, then wherever you are, whoever you are around, whatever is going on, You just find a way to blend into the background. No one necessarily has a clue that you are a follower of Christ because you conform so comfortably to your surroundings. May I just say this? Chameleons never make a difference. Chameleons never make a difference. They just blend in. Daniel's witness was powerful because he stood out from the crowd when it came to matters of conviction, of deep moral conviction. He stood out and stood up. He allowed himself to be heard despite the consequences. So we can be chameleons. You know, there's another extreme, though. 
the other extreme is we can be crusaders. You ever known people like that? Maybe you are one. Crusaders, they always enter into everything as if it's a battle. They, uh, they take stands that they don't need to take. They make enemies that they don't need to make because they engage every conversation with a chip on their shoulder and a sword in their hand. And you make a difference, all right, but you do more harm than you do good. Daniel learned how to move into his culture to accommodate the culture into which he had been placed. He learned how to speak graciously and so to be heard and not compromise his core convictions. So we have, on the one hand, chameleons who blend in. We have crusaders, on the other hand, who are ready for a fight at at the drop of a hat. Surely there must be something in the middle. And I would just say, sure there is. Christ-like. We've been talking about the scarlet thread and how Jesus appears from the earliest moments of Scripture. It might feel like a while since we've seen the scarlet thread. It's been there. But now, when we come to this book, the thread begins to pulsate. And surely one of the ways it pulsates is that we get a glimpse in Daniel of what we see perfectly in Christ. Think of his life. First of all, he entered completely into the lives of his people. Entered completely in. This was the God from the universe, from eternity, he, of all things. But he enters into his, the lives of his people. He walked with them. He loved them. He knew them. He laughed with them. He fished with them. He worked with them. He wept with them. His given name at birth was Emmanuel, which means God with us. Jesus embodied that. Like Daniel, he entered fully into the culture of which he was a part. But like Daniel too, and, and to a greater degree, when there was spiritual or moral outrage, Jesus stood. Usually all by himself, but he stood, and he stood strongly. Remember when he found his father's house, the temple, being desecrated by... Money changers, he takes out a a rope and makes a whip out of it. A few strands of rope. And he chases the whole bunch of them out. Imagine the fury, the righteous indignation of Jesus that he would not stand for this desecration. There was Jesus who, when a group of men trapped a woman caught in adultery on purpose in order to trap Jesus, they were ready to stone her to death. It was Jesus who stands them down. And how many times do we find in the Gospels that Jesus raises his voice again in righteous indignation against the religious leaders who are mistreating the very broken people that they should have had compassion on? When we see the qualities of this Daniel who can both be a part of the culture so faithfully and yet who stand courageously for things that he could not waver on, we're getting a glimpse of Jesus, surely. And the scarlet thread, I hope you notice, begins to pulsate when we read the story we read today. Think about it. Let's see. A righteous man who is betrayed, who is led to a place of death, who is put into a, a den of stone. The, 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 the door of that stone den is covered with a boulder. The boulder is sealed so that no one can render assistance from the outside. And then early the next morning, a witness comes running to the tomb to discover that God has done what no human being could do. He has raised his son from death to life, his servant from sure death to life. It is the story of Daniel, but is it not also a wonderful, vivid, scarlet glimpse of a story of Jesus that we will see in a few hundred years? God in his grace allows us a glimpse the death of the righteous one, the resurrection of the righteous one. And Daniel gives us a peek, a 
of what that will be. Do you see what I mean when I say that this book is like a shaft of light that bursts into the darkness, the Stygian darkness? It's a glimpse of a, of a, a courageous, heroic man who stood unwaveringly to the end of his life without any blemish. And it is the glimpse of a God who is in dominion over, who is sovereign over all things, even those things that seem to be whirling out of control. So when we come to the the feast that we will celebrate today, that is a, that's the very feast that we celebrate. Is this God, this God who triumphs over all evil? This God who raises up his sons and daughters from the pit? And this God who through this meal and through his spirit empowers us to live lives of enduring, unflagging, faithful witness. Aren't you grateful for that kind of a God? And aren't you grateful for the chance to join around the Lord's Supper this day. So I invite you to come and feast. If you love Christ, if you are sorry for your sins, if you recognize the ways that you have fallen short, but you want to be raised back up to your feet again and continue in your witness to the, to the end, then this is the meal for you. I bid you come. Let us pray. Thank you for the, the gift of this glimpse. The glimpse of a faithful man in his 80s who served so many kings, served two kingdoms, who was tempted, tried, tested, and who never failed. God, we want to be faithful like that, and we thank you for the encouragement that comes to us in Daniel. More than that, Lord, we, we see in him a glimpse of the Savior who was perfect in this respect, who entered perfectly into his culture, who stood perfectly against the outrage of the culture, who was betrayed and killed and who was raised to life again so that all who love him, all who call him Lord, all who receive the gift of his spirit might know that kind of life as as well. God, would you in this day empower us, equip us to, to have an enduring witness, neither chameleon nor crusader, but Christ like in the place to which we've been called. Our places of captivity, our places of hostility, Christ, would you meet us in this moment for that purpose? In Jesus' name, amen.